My name's James Wheeler. I'm the worship pastor here. If you don't know me, I'm also one of the teaching preaching pastors. I have the opportunity to share uh, in the responsibilities of bringing the word of God. So I'm so grateful for that. Hello for all our online viewers, if you're just jumping on right now. Uh, today, we're continuing in our series on parables. How many of you have gotten anything so far out of the parables series? Good. We love to hear that. That means we're, uh, as pastors, hearing from the Holy Spirit, and, and the Lord is teaching us where we need to go. Today, I'm going to be talking about the parable of the new wineskins, and it's obvious from worship and the prophetic words today that the Holy Spirit has us all on the same page. Praise God. Uh, but first, got a question for you. Do you know, did you know that Jesus has a huge retirement account? Did you know this? Because Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Uh, it's really interesting to know. He, he was an athlete. Did you know Jesus was an athlete? And uh, what sport do you think he played? Lacrosse. What else? What else, Bob? What, what else would he play? All right, I will put you out of your misery after one more. There are three things Christ promises he will never do. He won't leave you brokenhearted. Aren't you glad for that? He won't reject you. Praise God. He won't leave you or forsake you. So in essence, Jesus is never going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to run around, desert you. Thank you. Thank you. You've just been rickrolled. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, humor is good. Don't take yourself too seriously. I try not to because I'm a very serious person. So we're going to dig in now that your hearts are all lightened up. We're going to dig in now to the parable of the wineskins. It is found in the synoptics and all the gospels where a similar account is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And hopefully today, it's my prayer that we see uh, what Jesus is really saying in this teaching. Because it was such a monumental shift. It was such a, a, a game changer, we could say. Going against the established culture, going against the the accepted religious prevailing thought of the day. And so just as a reference for us, this is, this is going back a few years, but there was a time a few decades ago that the president of IBM famously said, oh, I could see the use for maybe a handful of computers in all the world. You remember that, that quote that he, he's, he's famous for saying, well, and now there's, there's computers in everybody's hand. And so to sit there in that room and hear him say that, you would have to have a monumental shift in your understanding to think that we would all have that kind of power in the palm of our hand. And this is the kind of mind-blowing stuff Jesus continually was laying on the people of the day as he was trying to bring uh, us into a new understanding. And so we can compare it to that. It's an epic disruption, and it takes us by surprise. And I think maybe he's going to take us by surprise today. But thank God, the parables aren't kept secret to you and I if we have an open heart. See, he's looking for someone who wants to receive what he has to say. So the core truth of this parable is about the kingdom of God, and it's about how the kingdom of God works, and it's about who the kingdom of God welcomes and uses. And this was all very surprising to the people of the day. And so I want to look at a verse that kind of lays the groundwork for Jesus' basic 
uh, mission statement, if you will, t talks about his purpose and intent and everything that he does. I say that because he still does this. It's in Matthew 9. You can go there with me, Matthew 9 and verse 35. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. I think right there in the middle of that verse, it tells us every time you see Jesus or hear Jesus, he's doing one thing. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And so what is Jesus doing when he's teaching with parables? He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So we know that when he unpacks a parable like this, we know that he's telling us how the kingdom of God works. And it was very different than what people thought. So if we look closely, Jesus is very consistent and he's very predictable in his approach. I love that about him. Don't you like it when someone's consistent and predictable? You can, you can count on the character, their, their consistency and how they're going to be with you. And that's Jesus. He's not an enigma. He's not a puzzle. He's very straightforward. And this is how I'm going to teach. This is how I'm going to model. So get this today. Jesus is a liberator. He's a liberator. He brings freedom. Jesus always brings freedom. And in that particular day, at that time, as with our culture today, the primary vehicle for bondage is religion. Hear that again. The primary vehicle for bondage is religion. And I want to give you kind of a, a thank you for these tissues, ushers, by the way. I didn't see this trim line pack, so I brought up my own bulky box. Sorry about that. So I want to give you a definition for religion that will expand your horizons. Often we think of maybe a, a dead church or liturgy or, 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 or the, in that context. But think about religion as any oppressive system of impossible rule keeping. And it goes further, where you judge yourself or others against that system and you become a slave to it. That could apply to the way you run your house, the way you treat your friends, the rules you have about how you have your tools in your garage. Come on, man. We can get bound so easily by some oppressive rule-keeping system and judge someone else by whether they keep our rules or not. Come on, say ouch or amen, somebody. Amen. So it's entirely predictable that our first encounter with Jesus will bring with it an assault on our religion and our religiosity. And I love that about him. That's the first thing that's going to go as the barrier that has to come down for you to come to Jesus. And some people go easier than others. But eventually they all come, hopefully. The aim is always the same from Jesus. It's to set you free. How many of you want to be free today? Religion is not the way to your freedom. These passages set the context for the parable of the wineskins. Jesus' behavior is modeling what he is teaching. I love that he does that. He lives out what he teaches and he teaches what he lives. And we're going to see that he's inviting a new kind of person 
not normally expected to become his students and ultimately the carriers of the new message. New kind of student, a new kind of delivery person. As it were, Luke 5, let's take a look here. This is all leading up to this parable, Luke 5 and verse 27. After that, he went out and looked at a tax collector, might as well say scum of the earth, named Levi, sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, follow me, and he left everything behind and got up and began following him. And Levi then gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors or other people who were very despised and, and uh, hated, and other people who were reclining at the table with them. And here's what religion does. The Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling to his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. Now, at first, first blush, you think, wow, he's rejecting some and accepting others. Why is he being so um, exclusive? But we need to understand what he's doing. He's baiting the hook for the parable that he's going to tell us here. He's ruffling the feathers of the religious establishment, those who pride themselves in matters of the law. And with his actions and his answer here, he's foreshadowing what he's about to say. As with all good communicators, good communicators, Jesus says, here's what I'm going to say, here's what I'm about to say. Then he says what he's going to say, and then he reminds us of what he said. It's that consistent repetition. So this is genius, this answer. The answer to why are you with those people? Why are you with sinners? Why are you with the people that we don't accept and we don't uh, appreciate? He says, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. So let me just ask you a question. Who's a sinner? Raise your hand if you're a sinner. I got both mine up. Everyone's a sinner. So he's calling everyone. But who in this passage thinks they're not sinners? The religious crowd. The Pharisees. You see, that's a problem we have. That's a condition in our own hearts. We kind of say, oh, I'm good, but maybe they're not. And that's not the case. So I love that he loves them so much to be strong with them because in being strong with them, he's teaching them and he's bringing them to a place where they can even receive. So Jesus is saying, I'm doing something new to the Pharisees and you're too stuck in your ways to see it, let alone be a part of it. You don't even know that you're sick. So how can you see me as your physician? Hear this church. Only when you and I realize that we're sinners, only when we realize that we're guilty before a perfect and holy God, can we come to the point of awakening to his call and answering the call to follow him. That's the path. It comes through repentance. It comes through that awareness. I am sick without you, Lord. I am incomplete without you, Lord. I am desperate for you, Lord, as we heard today. So that leads us to our fill-in number one on your note sheet. Jesus invites everyone to know him, but only those who realize they need him will truly find him.
I'm sure you've all learned from experience in praying for unsaved family, friends, that that is the case. Until someone realizes, oh, I do need that savior you're talking about. Oh, I do need Jesus. Then it happens like that. Come into my heart, Lord. So let's continue on here as we're building towards the parable in Luke 5. They said to him, the disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees also do the same. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, you cannot make the attendance of the groom fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the days will come, and when the groom is taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. So here the Pharisees are leaning in on religious tradition, what they've built of it, and they're using religious teaching to find fault. Understand this today. Religion finds your faults. Relationship forges freedom. The religion will pick apart your faults, but a God who loves you and desires to be with you will find a way to forge a path so that we can have relationship. So fill in number two, Jesus is saying, yes, there are rules involved in realizing relationship, but don't let the rules replace your relationship. The law is necessary. The Ten Commandments are still valid. The guidelines and, and benchmarks and barriers and guardrails that God has for us in our lives are for us to have a more quality relationship with him. But those things are not to become what we uh, have an affection toward. It's not the rules. It's the ruler. Amen, somebody. And so the purpose of fasting, as they were accusing the disciples, the purpose of fasting, always understand the why behind the what. The purpose of fasting is to deny your flesh and draw closer to God. But the purpose of fasting is not to deny a personal relationship with God so I can look religious, which is what they were doing. Jesus is saying, look, right now, my disciples, they have me in the flesh. They need to get to know me. They need to have a relationship with me. I'm forging something that is predictive of things to come. And there will be a time when they indeed need to deny their flesh, when they're going to be challenged, when their flesh is going to try to keep them from living a holy life in perfect relationship with me. But right now, I'm courting and creating the bride of Christ. Later, they will, they will fast in preparation for my return and the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's such beautiful uh, foreshadowing in what he says there, and that isn't the focus of this message, but I wanted to point that out. So Jesus all along here, he's masterfully revealing the truth about his purpose, and it's a plan that's already embedded, get this, yet unseen to the Pharisees. It's already embedded in the very law, the old covenant the prophets, in the very law out of which the Pharisees ended up building this oppressive, bondage-bringing, political, power-wielding system. And it was a system which had become totally corrupt and apart from its intended purpose, yet so consistent with our natural instincts. Would we follow the sin nature and we refuse to rightly divide the word of God. Come on, somebody, say amen. 
Let's, let's keep plowing here. Luke 5, we're going to uh, pick it up here, and he's gonna finally, we're going to finally get to the heart of the matter. Luke 5, verse 36. And so he was also telling them a parable. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it in an old garment. Otherwise, he will both tear the new, and the patch from the new garment will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out, and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, wants new, for he says the old is fine. Now, I purposely wanted to teach today out of, out of Luke's account because he's the only one that includes that verse 39. And it says, and no one after drinking old wine wants new, for he says the old is fine. Now, we could get tripped up on this and say, wait a minute. I thought we we're talking about old versus new and old and their way is bad and new is good and we need the new. But he says something here that might escape us if we don't understand something. Jesus was a rabbinical teacher in the tradition of the rabbis of his day, contemporaries. And there was well-established oral tradition that later we have uh, more written down, uh, writings uh, that we have today. And that is the, uh, the Mishnah and the Talmud. And these are uh, commentaries by rabbis on the Old Covenant. And so the Pharisees would have been very familiar with these. And so why does he say the old wine is fine if he's trying to emphasize the need for new wine? Indeed, the new wine is going to come. The Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on all flesh. But it isn't really the heart of his inference here. It's, it's prophetic, it's predictive, but I want us to see something that will help us really understand this in, in an amazing way. So I want to read from uh, one of those writings will give us insight into to how he's taking something they already know and just turning it on his head and using that to help bring to a new level of revelation. Okay, so it says here, Elisha ben Avuya said, he who studies as a child, unto what can he be compared? He can be compared to ink written upon a fresh new sheet of paper. But he who studies as an adult, unto what can he be compared? He can be compared to ink written on a smudged, previously used and erased sheet of paper. Do you see the similarity to what we have in the Gospels and to what Jesus said to them going on? Rabbi Yoz ben Yehuda of the city of Babylon said, He who learns from the young, unto what can he be compared? He can be compared to one who eats unripe grapes, here's the wine reference, and drinks unfermented wine from his fat. But he who learns from the old... Unto what can he be compared? He can be compared to one who eats ripe grapes and drinks old wine. There's no judgment on what's bad or good here. Listen, and then finally, Rabbi Mir said, Do not pay attention to the container, but pay attention to that which is in it. There's a new container full of old wine, and here is an old container which does not even contain new wine. Here's what I think Jesus was trying to get at. You yourselves, Pharisees, you yourselves, religious leaders of the day, you understand the value of looking at something with untrained eyes, the eyes of a child. A blank sheet of paper, I love that, a blank sheet of paper, not one that's been written on and erased and trained to understand something from only a certain perspective. The young and pure of heart 
can receive both the old and the new. Did you catch that in what the rabbis were writing? They can, they can uh, receive both the old and new. In fact, they are intended to form a complete picture of God's redemptive plan. Old covenant, Jesus concealed. New covenant, Jesus revealed. But the old container cannot accept the new wine. And it was meant to be. They couldn't accept it then. Someday they would when a new teacher was able to show them something new. So with that nuance, I want to to introduce the fact that we could, we could interpret the parable of the wineskin simply this. New teaching or new revelation, which it was, requires new students. Students who have never been taught using the established methods. And don't you see that in culture? How something new, the younger generation embraces it and runs with it and they're able to release it and then they teach us. So new teaching or new revelation requires new students. And this is our fill-in number three. New teaching requires new students. Only through new students will the mysteries and eternal purpose of the old be revealed. And I wanna, I wanna help us see something. It is not an abolishment of the old. It's just a revelation of what was there all the time that could not be seen until now, until the new comes. It's mind-blowing to realize that through the new students and the new dispensation that even the old students have the greatest opportunity to see the true meaning of the Old Testament now revealed in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> the Pharisees thought the law was the way, and you weren't going to tell them it wasn't the way. But Jesus was coming to say, I am the way. I am the realization of the law. And his interaction with one Pharisee in particular, this really is going to underscore the meaning of this parable and a method that Jesus continually used to reach every single person he encountered, including the religious leaders of the day. Let's look at that account in John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus responded and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How do you become a new student of a new teaching? You have to be totally transformed. Nicodemus responded and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, you are the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things. You're an old wineskin with old wine, and that's fine, but you're not going to get this. In John 14, 6, and Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, except through a new revelation of the established old covenant. So let me just finish with making some observations about this parable. Getting anything out of it so far? Yep. Awesome. So the revelation of the gospel, if given to the proven and studied religious authorities of the day, the experts, even if they could receive it, it would have ruined the purity and integrity of what they did represent, which was the Torah, as well as fail to accomplish the revelation and ratification of the new covenant. 
because that only could come through the mock trial of the innocent lamb, his betrayal, his death, burial, and resurrection, resulting in life and liberty for the whole cosmos. For God so loved the whole cosmos. The irony is this, and don't let it get lost on you today. The Pharisees had to reject the new, and that's why they crucified the Lord. Think about if they received him. Yeah, let's put you in power. Salvation doesn't happen. Doesn't that blow your mind? They had to reject it. They had to be so hardened in their ways for the gospel to be fulfilled. Secondly, the entrance of the new covenant does not nullify the law. Amen. We have to erase our thinking if we've, if we've gotten into that mindset. Uh, it's a radical new teaching or revelation and interpretation of the law that they couldn't see at the time. And still, God's word said there, there's a veil over the eyes of his chosen people. But praise God, that veil is going to be broken and they're going to finally see and there's going to be a huge number of Jews that come to full salvation. And don't stop praying for that, by the way. Continue to pray for that. Uh, number three, the law isn't being contradicted by Jesus. The law is being fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Every word he said, everything he did, right down to his death, burial, and resu resu resurrection was a fulfillment of every little part of the law. Uh, also, in choosing his followers, and this is good news for us today, Jesus is demonstrating that the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, is for everyone. The outcast, the Holy Spirit was really welcoming us all today and trying to get us beyond feeling that guilt and sin. The outcast, the marginalized of society, those oppressed and bound by the current religious establishment. And this new revelation of the old covenant could only be seen through the eyes of the newbie, the child the unlearned of the old ways. What did Paul write to D Timothy? Don't despise your youth. There's something about that freshness and that youth that we want to release and embrace and encourage. Matthew 18, 3, Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless you change and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of God. I wonder how many times every day because we're not willing to change. We're not willing to become a student of the word. We're kept from experiencing the fullness of the kingdom of God. I just wonder. See, we can't take these messages and apply them only to the first time conversion. It has to be something as believers we understand we need every day. Amen. Every day, Lord, change me. I want to become a child again in your eyes. I want to become a student of the word. I want to have uh, a new, fresh revelation. So let me just make very plain application here as I, finish, as I finish up. Thank you, Lord. What does it mean? Well, it might seem impossible what I'm asking, but all things are possible with God. Amen. And you have a choice today to ask him for a new heart, to ask him for a clean slate. And we've already done that in worship and the appeal is still there. The, off, the offer is still on the table. 
to receive and walk in the new that God has for you in every season of life starting today. Do you know your life is a series of seasons that overlap and transition? And God's always wanting to do a new thing. He says in Revelation, behold, I come and make all things new. He's always wanting to do a new thing. He's always wanting to redeem the past and bring something new. He's, he's the, the beginner of the work who's faithful to bring it to the day of completion. So he wants something new for your life today. Secondly, this hits very close to home. And, and like the parable of the soils, we often all have hard ground in our hearts. And I want to say, could it be that some of us need to let go of our religious framing of what the history of this very church has become to us. Perhaps we've made something of our gap history that's stopping us from receiving our gap future, if that makes sense. What Jesus wants to make new, he's not dispensing with the old. He's saying there's a seed of the prophetic revelation of my desired future for this church, but I'm releasing it in a new way and I'm releasing it through new people and are you willing to become a new wineskin? Are you willing to become a new vessel? Are you willing to become like, I've, I've, I'm clueless, Lord, but I'm coming to you as a child? That might apply to you today, and I would say, don't be afraid of God just changing your heart and ask him, search my heart, O Lord, and see if there's anything in me. And then, very practically, some of us need to realize that our rules about our family, the rules we have about who can be our friend and who can't be our friend, the rules we have about our parenting, about how we raise our kids, maybe it's our hobbies, our pastimes, those things have actually become religiously oppressive. And they've got you in bondage. And what does Jesus come to do? Set you free, right? That seems very practical, but how, how many of us are held by those things? Some of y'all just need to chill out. Like, give yourself a break. Take a day off, do something fun. Uh, let go of expecting someone else to think the way you think. Amen, somebody, come on. Free us from religion. Break the spirit of religion in this place today. Religious spirit, God wants to deliver us from that. Uh, again, this very point, the Holy Spirit was doing during our worship time and our prophetic time. Some of us are in bondage and it's keeping us from walking towards Jesus and receiving his love and receiving his forgiveness and receiving the fullness of the Spirit and his new plan for your life. He has a new plan for your life. I want to encourage you to walk free from whatever is holding you back and receive that today. And then finally, there are those of you that have never said yes to Jesus you might have gone to this church for a long time or, or were raised in a Christian home, but you've never just said, Jesus, I accept what you've done and I commit to follow you the rest of my life. I am your bondservant. You are my master. You are my Lord. Any of those things apply to your heart. I want to encourage you when the, when the prayer workers come at the close of service, come, do business, take care of those things. Uh, if you're new, uh, with us. We want to let you know we do have a welcome room that you can come and say hello to some of the leadership uh, back there. But praise God. I'm going to pray uh, in closing in just a second. Did you get anything at all out of that today? Thank you, Lord. So 
all glory be to God. Thank you, Lord. There's a prayer that I, that I pray often that I think could be uh, a good prayer for us today, and it's Ephesians 1.18, and Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, did you know your heart has eyes? That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Could I just ask you, church, to pray that every day and to pray that God does something new in your heart every day and that you're able to see that? Lord, I just come before you right now. I thank you for the day uh, that you've given us, that you've orchestrated from beginning to end. And that you've just invited us into the new and you've invited us to be delivered from any wrongful uh, interpretation or experience of the old or of the past. I ask you, Lord, for those that are needing to invite you to be Lord and Savior for the very first time, rise up within them the courage and the conviction needed to repent of their sins and to come to you. I pray that we will look back on today and say, this is a day that something new started in our lives, something new started in our marriage, something new started in our homes and in our church and in our communities, Lord. And we thank you for it. We thank you for what you're doing, what you have done and what you're going to do. And we just reach out and receive it by faith. Even though our eyes may not see it right now, even though our emotions may not comprehend it, Lord, we receive it by faith in the realm of the spirit. We declare it to be so over this house. In the mighty name of Jesus, the church said, amen.